Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with Danielle Whitfield. She's a curator at the National Gallery of Victoria in Fashion and Textiles, and she's just put together the most wonderful um, exhibition on uh, Comme de Garçon. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. Now, we can't talk for hours, even though you know I love talking about fashion, but tell me a little bit about what fashion exhibitions are meant to do and why they're so important generally? Well, I think there's so yeah. many reasons. I mean, yeah. um, but I think, you know, fashion sits in the gallery, you know, as a creative discipline that, um, you know, is provocative, it's contemporary, it's a reflection of kind of the cultural moment that we're in. Um, So exhibitions are important in that they look at, I guess, the work of leading designers who are working in that discipline today. And is it that people have gone through various periods and can identify with things that have been worn and say, oh, look, I, I had that in the 90s or the 80s and I remember it. Is it that nostalgia thing? Oh, look, I think there's a, certainly, you know, with some exhibitions, there's a degree of nostalgia for, you know, a time past and for kind of craftsmanship and technique that, you know, might not be apparent in the sort of ready-to-wear industry today. But then there's also fashion's a very forward-looking discipline. So it's always about what's ahead, what's to come. And so I think, you know, there are also exhibitions that present really challenging ideas and are about kind of reconceiving um, what fashion can be, what it means, and also as a reflection of one's, I guess, identity. Like fashion is a form of self-expression, so people respond to fashion on that level. Um, how? I mean, Ray Kouakouba, who's uh, the creative director behind Comme de Garçon, she never gives interviews. So putting this exhibition together must have been quite challenging because where do you start? She's such a big name in the world of fashion. If people don't know about her, which I'm sure people know about her, but if they don't, she basically created this storm in the early 80s with her deconstructed clothing. Tell me a little bit about Ray Kouakouba from your experience and then we'll talk about the exhibition itself. What? I think, as you say, she's somebody who has consistently remained enigmatic. She doesn't like to um, really articulate the meaning behind a lot of her collections, and that was certainly more apparent in the earlier years than recently. Now there are, of course, like, you know, media releases that are issued with each collection that's presented. I mean, she's certainly given interviews over time, and, you know, one of, I guess the kind of consistent uh, or one of one of the things she, that she repeats often is, you know, her desire to sort of start from zero and do things that haven't been done before. And that's a real mantra, I guess, for her design philosophy is to constantly push the boundaries. And so I think... Oh, hang on. Where yeah. have we, what, what was the original yeah, question? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, in terms of... You know, she is difficult to interview. Mm, She doesn't give interviews. She's kind of an enigma, as you said. So to get this exhibition going, well, just how do you start the process? She's done so much Mm. since 1982 and she started in the mid-70s. How do you – I mean, there was a a collector who was an instigator for this exhibition. Well, I guess working within a gallery context, you start with what you have. And so for me, the exhibition was about 
the opportunity to present, you know, these incredible holdings that we do have, which are the result of a very generous gift by um, donor Takamasa Takahashi. So working with what he has gifted to the gallery and then with key examples from his own archive, we were able to pull together an exhibition that really spans the breadth of Kawakubo's career. So, you know, in the exhibition we have 40 collections that, you know, begin with, the work that she first presented in Paris in the early 1980s and finish with examples from, you know, the last four years. So we were very fortunate in that we had this incredibly rich body of material um, that allowed us to tell Kawakubo's story, you know, in great, you know, breadth, but also in great depth. So I guess that's where I began with this particular exhibition. If, you know, another institution was to try and tackle it, then they would have to do it in a different way. When you saw the... You'll have to pronounce his name. I'm sorry. We could call him Tucker. (laughs) Tucker. When you first uh, saw his collection, uh, which obviously was probably a couple of years ago, Mm. what was your reaction? Oh, I just... Did you go to his place and just say, oh, my God, I mean... Well, I guess, you know... Like a lot of donors, Tucker has been someone who the gallery's been working with over a number of years. So he first gave works to us in 2005. So this relationship has been developing and as our holdings have increased, yeah, the realisation that we should really do something with them um, became more and more apparent. But, you know, like he... I I guess I'm just overwhelmed that somebody so... um, passionate and so thoughtful and so I guess intuitive in terms of what he collects and like he's he's got an incredible eye so the things that Tucker has been able to source and find and the way he has developed his collection I think is is incredibly unique like for him it comes out of a very personal connection to Kawakubo's work he's not a collector who's looking to build an archive for resale he's not somebody that's built this um, as a means to kind of you know make money or anything it's about Kawakubo's work speaking to him as a young man in the 80s and then continuing that relationship through throughout his adult life. Um, Danielle he's still continuing to purchase yes yes and does he purchase with the NGV in mind or for himself primarily for himself primarily and when he donates to the NGV it's a conversation around um, what we already have what would supplement our holdings what would be a great example so that we have this representative body of Kawakubo's work okay Mm. um I'm looking when I went through the exhibition which was Pretty extraordinary. Mm. Uh, loved it. Um, you did start with the early 80s. You go right through. The first thing I noticed is it's, it's even the backdrop to the exhibition is very deconstructed. And that's almost her signature. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not that people walking through it will not will probably say, oh, it's not quite finished. The the, the, the paint hasn't been, you know, it's cracked and there's <laughs> yeah, marks. That was a fa- Tell me about that. Cause- it was a fantastic moment towards the end of the installation where um, some of the painters were um, walking around the space wanting to touch up surfaces that appeared unfinished or, you know, um, cover over the plastering and we were, oh, no, 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 please, please leave that as it is. It's intentional. But I guess, you know, in a sense, every exhibition, we have an exhibition design team who respond to the works on display and then help us create the environment that best tells a narrative that allow people to kind of, you know, digest uh, 
you know, information and to look at the works, uh, you know, so that they can see relationships between particular collections or particular mm. works or that really cement ideas. And so the design of the space was a response to Kawakubo's design language, which is the language, as you say, of deconstruction. Well, very simple, very raw. Mm. I mean, if you went to the Dior show, it was pretty flamboyant, mm. but that would look at odds with what Ray's trying to express. So Absolutely. this is very simple, almost really understated because that's her. Yes, and I think it just highlights, uh, you know, some of the, you know, idiosyncrasies of her work, some of the, you know, as I said, the vocabulary of making that she employs. Uh, and I think that, you know, Kawakubo's work is, it, it's a very holistic vision. It's how the works are made. It's how they're presented on the runway. It's how they're advertised, how they're displayed in stores. So um, she's got a, she has a lot of control over the imagery um that exists, you know, around mm. surrounding her work and also the presentation of her work. So the exhibition design really responds to that, to create this holistic environment. Um, Daniel, when mm. you're doing a major exhibition, this is a major exhibition, um, how closely do you have to work with her and her team or does she kind of hand it over and say, look, this is your baby? Yeah, well, because it's about the NGV collection, primarily, you know, the relationship is to the works in the collection and then, of course, to the donor, Tucker, who we loaned from. Um, we obviously inform, you know, a fashion house or an artist or a, deal, a artist dealer um, whenever we're doing an exhibition about a person. Um, but Com didn't really have any, I mean, yeah, any, th- any um, instruction for us. They lent us the video works that are in the display, so incredibly generous because that's often, you know, difficult to get hold of and particularly uh, runway footage from the early 1980s. That's, you know, remarkable. Um, But in terms of, you know, there's no interference or no instruction or no imperatives to display something rather than another. Um, Before we go into the latter work, Mm -hmm. What do you see personally as the importance of the early 80s? Because it's a period that I don't think people realised how revolutionary it was at the time. It was really a paradigm shift completely in fashion. Yeah. What's your spin on it? Oh, well, I think... You, you I... were probably a toddler at the time. <laughs> Maybe not. But, um, <laughs> look, I, I completely agree. I think it was a it was a revolution, and particularly when you think about what was going on in fashion at that moment when you think of all those body conscious styles and the high glamour in the 80s in the, in the 80s, 80s yeah uh, on particularly on the paris runways and you know kawakubo comes in and she proposes a completely different way of looking at fashion i mean she says fashion for a start she introduces black um, she says fashion can be asymmetrical, it can be unfinished, it can Ridic- be volu- voluminous. It's not about fashion as flattery. It's about a completely different relationship between what you wear, you know, you're a completely different relationship that the wearer has to clothing. Um, and it was a completely different version of beauty. And I think that was really important. It wasn't, you know, she said at the time, it wasn't about, you know, women dressing for men, it was about women dressing for so themselves. It completely, and I think the language that she develops, or she developed at that time in that early nineteen eighties period, is a language that continues throughout all her collections. And as you move through the exhibition, that becomes really apparent. That you know some of those ideas, like the design ideas, um, are consistent, but also that idea of 
challenging stereotypes and challenging um, ideas around kind of beauty and taste. That's a consistent in, consistency in her practice. And mm. um, it wasn't just something for people who think that, you know, mm. the deconstructed early 80s fashion was kind of somewhere else in Paris. It actually made a huge impact in Melbourne at the time. I mean, I've had Joe Saba, mm. who was one of the first, if not the first, to import uh, Colm to Melbourne. And I remember him saying on even on this program, this was a number of years mm. ago, that he bought for the whole season and it literally the whole entire collection sold out in three weeks. He didn't know what to do. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, because I came across an old magazine um, advertising the collections from Saba and there's, I think, the 1983 Com collection is in that. It's, yeah. yeah, And it's he just said he couldn't believe fantastic. it. Fantastic, yeah. And I think everyone else surrounding him at the time in Turak Road, South Yarra, uh, perhaps, perhaps thought he was a bit mad and... Then they were thinking, oh, my God, we've stuck with all this conservative European fashion. <laughs> this is the direction. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, it just shows how influential, influential Cal Kubo was at, at that particular moment and how, I guess, how much people were looking for a change in fashion and for look, looking for something. The other thing <clears> is <throat> this exhibition is very well-timed because there is a return in interest and uh, to the early 80s in fashion in particular. Is that something that you were conscious of when you put this exhibition together or just you thought it was timely because we haven't done one for a while? Oh, look, I think, you know, that possibly is fortuitous. Uh, I guess the exhibition, you know, we plan our exhibitions a couple of years in advance and this was a conversation that came out of uh, discussions with, you know, internally mm. about the fact that we suddenly had, you know, over 100 Com de Gasson pieces and it was really time to sort of celebrate it because we can do an exhibition that is as ambitious as we want it to be. Um, and I think sometimes that's the the hard thing about being a curator is you want to do all these shows but you have to wait until you've got the works or the, the relationship. The other thing that yeah. I noticed about the exhibition, because I've just been, and it, it's still it's on till July so I'll be going back a number of times and watching the films, um, Danielle, is the significant representation of 90s fashion in the exhibition, um, which kind of threw me a bit because I, I it's a, the 90s is a blur mm. for me. I had kids at the time. <laughs> so I, it was lovely to actually work out what was going on when I wasn't, you know, when mm. I was in my trackies. Um, and what is it about the 90s that's so strong in this exhibition? What are the pieces that really uh, say that period mm. and what is it about the 90s like how do you define it oh look I mean you know <laughs> <laughs> all these um, big questions very really... big questions but I guess you know thinking about the 90s and Comme de Gasson it's a moment where she does probably what is her best known collection which is the body meets dress dress meets body collection this is the bump collection the bu you know the lumps and bumps collection is you know the press called it at the time and you know, it was the collection where she presented um, clothing that had all these sort of extended protuberances and misshapen sort of silhouettes, which were the result of kind of internal padding that really redefined. It like a hunchback. Yeah, well, that people did, you know, <laughs> call it all sorts of things at the time. And, you know, and often, you know, the magazines refused to photograph the works without the 
with the padding in, they would take the padding out. And what it really did was kind of reframe what is the fashionable silhouette. So it it's sort of pushed fashion into a much more abstract and kind of conceptual territory. And I think that's what the 90s really offered us and in terms of I think Kawakubo's work I mean there are a lot of things she started to introduce in the 90s like there are a lot of collections that referenced punk but she also really did start to take fashion into much more conceptual territory so collections that started you know with a sort of crumpled up water paper or you know the instruction to start with something perfect and go backwards so it began to I guess um change the way that fashion was made and then also the kind of potential for what it could be. Um, Danielle, given how <clears throat> outrageous, and it was outrageous mm. at the time, the lump and bump, all the, how do you call it? The Oh, body meets stress, bo- dress body meets, meets body, yes. Body meets stress, stress meets body. Given how revolutionary that was at the time, um, how difficult is it to find those pieces? Because I couldn't imagine people buying them then and and those who did buy them could have said oh look we made a bit of a mistake we don't didn't really wear that (laughs) well I mean how rare is it yeah look I think the difficulty and this is the one great thing about the way that Tucker collects is he collects entire outfits um, as worn on the runway so he collects in a way that he will have the top and the skirt and the shoes and the stockings and the hat Um, And so I think certain lumps and bumps pieces circulate at auction. So you can often find like a gingham top or maybe a skirt, but getting the entire outfit is a much more difficult thing. And in the exhibition, we actually have three pieces from this collection and they're all very different and they show different, I guess, iterations of one idea. Um, But there's one particular uh, work in, in the show from that collection which Tucker talks about and he talks about when he went into a particular shop, unnamed shop in Sydney and uh, the shop assistant took a look at him and sort of said, I think upstairs sale racks are more kind of for you. Um, (laughs) We didn't really want to let him look around the kind of current collection and he went upstairs and he actually found um, a very rare Top, which is a white see-through mesh with two padded pillows at the back shoulder, so sort of Saw like that. angel wings. And it's, you know, it's an incredible... Beautiful. And then he found the skirt many years later. But, you know, like it's about knowing what you look for too and being open to those opportunities. But, yeah, we were having a giggle in the exhibition space thinking if if only that poor shop assistant knew what she was <laughs> giving away then... Um, but well, it's yeah, called he... knowledge. Mm. That's what I put it down to. Yeah. And um, you try to impart knowledge, mm. but if people aren't open to it. Yes. Um, Daniel, what are some of your highlight pieces in this exhibition that you, when you started putting them together, the exhibition yeah. together, that you really... Well, I think, you know, for anyone who is familiar with Ray Kawakubo's work, the... Uh, holes, sweater and skirt sort of ensemble that at the beginning at the beginning of the exhibition which is the first work you see when you walk into the um, interior of the exhibition space is such a key work from a key period from a key collection um, you can't help but 
you know, I think be overcome. Like it's it's the work that was made famous in the Peter Lindbergh photo, um, and it's the the whole sweater is the the garment that really I guess cemented Kawakubo's place in the sort of you know history of fashion um, because it's you know these intentional runs and holes which were the result of you know deliberately um, faulting the knitting machines um, it's it's asymmetrical so it only has one sleeve um, so all these ideas which were part of her practice and part of that developing um, body of work are really present in that outfit. Yeah, I think from memory mm. I was watching Anthony, the singer, wearing one of those jumpers oh, right, years yeah. later and thinking, wow, lucky him. Yes, yeah. I mean, they're incred- it's incredibly rare to get a work like that, let alone the whole outfit. I mean, so, I mean, what, I mean, I hate talking money, but if you came across something like that, what what would you be expecting to pay for something like so rare or is it just something you've never thought about something with at least four zeros behind it i think really <laughs> yeah and and i think so that's, that's over 10 over, that's a mm, lot yeah that's... yeah no there are very they're very coveted pieces yeah. and there are a lot of collectors out there um who are particularly attracted to com um be i guess because she's such a visionary she's such a provocateur she's avant-garde she's all of those things that you um want fashion to be uh and you know challenging and exciting and unexpected and so there is a very devoted fan base um there was another piece that took my eye in the exhibition mm. which was based on the base um is it uh what's that baseball Baseball. Ah, uh, uh, yes, the I, ballerina motorbike collection. Yes, yes, and what's interesting about it, I still remember it being retailed at one of the stores in Melbourne, mm. and um, I think it was Cozy Ipanema. Yes, it and, was. And uh, I thought, my God, it's so outrageous. And I'm not sure if it's sold or not, um, I, mm. but, you know, to see something that was once in a shop and now in a gallery is quite an interesting journey. Mm. And that people at the time, I think it would have been a little bit adventurous for most. It looks like a baseball. Um, it does. It's got the whip stitching of the baseball mitt, but it's right. also sort of uh, based on a you know motorcycle jacket. So there's, uh, you know, there's kind of subcultural references in that work and that kind of the juxtaposition of something quite tough um, and aggressive with the sort of um, the multi-layered sort of um, chiffon skirt with Which was wiring sold, in it. That yeah. was sold as, as um, a combo at the time. Mm. And often with Kawakubo's work, it's those, it is those pairings and the kind of the surprise of the, um, yeah, the unexpected. So, you know, in that particular ensemble it's Mm. the kind of the tough with the delicate with the fragility um and then those sort of yeah sort of punk references um daniel my only small criticism and it's not aimed at you is that i was kind of looking for a bit more menswear in it and is it i just i'm a bit of it's all about me of course but (laughs) i was thinking i know a lot of it's unisex and a lot of it's unisex um but was it just that Tucker doesn't collect menswear or that the gallery, the NGV, doesn't have a lot of menswear from Com? A uh, bit of both. I th- because this show is drawn from the gift that Tucker has given, uh, he 
is very adamant about collecting women's wear because he sees that that as the kind of purest form of Kawakubo's sort of vision. Um, so and he began collecting. Well, he began wearing com in the late seventies, and it was all shapeless and genderless. And so there was no distinction for him in terms of men's. The and the men's line didn't come in until a bit later. But he made a very conscious decision in the mid-'80s to collect the women's wear because, yeah, as I said, because he sees it as that kind of the purest form of her vision. We do have some come to Gus on men's wear pieces, but it it wasn't really, I think, appropriate for this exhibition to start to try and, you know, tell every single com story, um, but to really look at, I guess, Kawakubo's work through... Um, all of those collections, women's wear collections, and then to kind of look at her influence on another generation mm. of Japanese designers. Um, Danielle, what do you hope people learn from this exhibition? Like, what do you hope they take away with them? Uh, well, look, I hope people are really inspired because I think for somebody like Kawakubo who has remained independent who has remained it's pretty rare. fresh at the, you know, it is it is incredible. Like, and for somebody who has stayed true to her design vision um, and has consistently delivered, I think that, you know, it should be an inspiration for younger fashion designers and for, um, you know, visitors to really learn something about, um, you know, approaches to making, but also to look at, I guess, creativity you know and that kind of how fashion operates is not just a kind of you know um you know off the rack disposable you know like it is it's collectible yeah. and i mean i think what i feel with all the things uh well literally all the items of clothing that were on display highly wearable i mean mm. look she does her pretty outrageous uh, wedding pieces mm. that are extraordinary that people just say, well, you know, it looks a bit like Lee mm. Barry um, on steroids. But, um, you know, everything is very wearable. I mean, everything in that collection you could wear today easily, easily. Yeah. And, that yeah, that's interesting you say that because a number of um, my colleagues have said to me, I could wear everything in that <laughs> in that show. And I think it's really... You can. Yeah, you can. It's very... Um, it does transcend time in a lot of ways. And I think because what you can recognise in there is that um, integrity and I guess the, you know, sort of authenticity of her vision. Like she is very true to herself. Like there's a very, you know, and I think... um, Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm overcome. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, I think I, it is I think very wearable. And it I, look, it's not—it's not faddish. It's not a fashion. It's kind of timeless, yet it's so adventurous. And generally, mm. if you have something that has that has so much creativity in it, mm. you usually with clothing, it's like, well, it was good for the time, but even if it's tweaked a little bit ten years later, you go, oh, I couldn't wear that. But there's literally nothing in that mm. collection that you wouldn't be proud of wearing. I mean, it's just extraordinary work. And I, yeah, and I just think the variety 
I think people will be surprised, you know, what you expect of com. Like when people mention com de garçons, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, black or this or that or whatever, asymmetrical, distressed. But I think as you go through the exhibition, what you see is that there's an incredible variety of materials, of textures, of approaches to making, of outcomes. And it's that sort of surprising element that keeps it really fresh and does make it... um, you know, like, yeah, so appealing, I yeah. think. Um, Danielle, I can't extend this for too much longer, no. although I kind of would like to. Uh, I'd like to be able to see um, everyone go to this exhibition. It's just, I think, even if you're not interested in fashion, I think there's almost an obligation to immerse yourself in Com's work, in Ray Kawakube's work. Look, thank you so much for coming in today. My pleasure. Uh, you've been listening to Danielle Whitfield, curator in fashion and textiles at the National Gallery, Gallery of Victoria. And please do me a favour, go and see the exhibition. It's on until July next year, so there's no excuse for not seeing it. No excuse. <laughs> Thanks so much, Danielle. Thank you.